Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. It's bangthebook.com's MLB betting podcast for Thursday, July 16th. I am your host, Adam Burke. As you know, this and every edition of the Betters Box presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the Sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. We are one week away from the start of the Major League Baseball season. Two games coming up next Thursday. Everybody else gets underway on Friday. So very much looking forward to the start of the season. On Monday, we'll do a five and fly for the National League West. On Thursday, we'll set everything up for the season, kind of recap everything. Take a look at the two games in the market for Thursday. Kind of discuss what my handicapping process is for any new listeners that we've got. Going to have a lot of content going up here at bangthebook.com. For the start of the MLB season, I'll write about some futures and some win total stuff. Um, you know, again, as we get closer to opening day here, we got a better idea of who's in and who's out. So if you're going to bet any of those things, that would be the time, maybe a day or two before the start of the season. Uh, we'll be talking about some individual player props, things of that sort. Then I'll be doing my daily picks and tips article beginning next Thursday over at bangthebook.com. Uh, I would assume that my volume is a little bit lower here this season with some of the uncertainties, some of the high variance, uh, you know, possibilities here with, you know, maybe piggybacks and four-man rotations and, you know, short starts and stuff like that. So, again, a lot of moving parts here for the start of the Major League Baseball season and a lot of moving parts in general over at bangthebook.com where we're covering golf. UFC, NASCAR, horse racing. Got a preview for the Peter Pan Stakes coming up here today at Saratoga. We'll also write up a preview. Uh, in all likelihood, I'm going to try to do that today uh, for the Haskell Invitational this weekend as well. But we're going to be doing more MLB stuff, more NBA, more NHL. I'm going to do some series preview capsules for us for the NHL as that's about two weeks from getting going now. NFL and college football still hanging in the balance, so I'm going to focus on the sports that we know are coming up by August. Hopefully, we can talk some more NFL and some more college football. I'm not sure about when the Daily Show will return. Uh, Look, you know, I understand we've got NBA and NHL and and, and MLB, but, you know, I'm still not sure what I want to do in terms of the format for the show for this season. So we're still kind of working on that. Behind the scenes, we'll let you know as soon as we have that figured out. Then finally, I'm still updating the KBO bullpen spreadsheet in Google Sheets. Hopefully you bookmarked that. If you haven't, reach out to me on Twitter at skatingtripods or email me skatingtripods at gmail.com. We'll talk about that here, uh, or I will uh, tell you about that, excuse me, where that link is, where you can find that. Again, updating that bullpen sheet every day still for the KBO. All right, so I wanted to start with just some general MLB news here first. Then we'll get into the five and fly for the NL Central and then a very quick look at the weekend ahead in the KBO. And, you know, the big news, at least as far as player personnel and transactions go, the Atlanta Braves signed Yasiel Puig. Now, Puig was coming into the season without a team. Nobody had signed him yet, you know, as we were about halfway through spring training before everything shut down. And now the Braves pick up Puig. And with the universal DH, it seemed like it would make sense that some National League team would go out there and get Puig, not because he's got a DH profile, 
but because they could move one of their other outfielders into that DH role. So now the Braves wind up with Puig. And Nick Markakis had already opted out. And quite frankly, there's a very good chance that Yasiel Puig is an upgrade to Nick Markakis. I think that's the case. A lot of smart people seem to believe that's the case. Again, a lot of these opt-outs here so far have really been addition by subtraction. You think of Markakis, you know, yeah, he's a veteran leader guy and a pretty reliable and projectable player, but they were going to give those plate appearances to younger guys like in Austin Riley. Uh, They're going to give those plate appearances to, you know, some of the other guys that they have in the organization. Now they can give them to Puig. And Puig has much higher power upside. He's a defensive upgrade. I like this move a lot for the Braves, a team that I already liked anyway. Uh, Now I think that Puig just gives them another added element here with a little bit of pop, that big arm in the outfield. And he's a pretty good defensive player overall and certainly a motivated guy having not had a contract going into the middle of March. This is a guy that now you know has to use this 60-game sprint to really put himself in a good position for next season. Jose Quintana, he's still out for the Cubs right now with the thumb stitches. He'll probably miss two or three starts. I guess I could have saved this during the five and fly segment. But you know these are important developments here. Eduardo Rodriguez going on the IL for the Boston Red Sox. A positive COVID test for him. He's going to miss a couple of starts. He's already an injury-prone type of guy to begin with. So again, you got to remember here, missing two or three starts in general, not that big of a deal. You're missing two of three or two of three of, you know, 30 or 31. Now you're missing two or three of 10 to 12. So again, you know, who knows what those two or three starts would look like. Obviously, every starting pitcher has two or three bad starts at a minimum over the course of the season. But you know, again, this is what we're talking about here, where all of a sudden now, three starts might be 25% of your season. So we're going to see a lot of guys try to pitch through injury if they can, or maybe they just stop and say, you know what, I'm going to shut it down for this short sample size. For Quintana and Rodriguez, you know, these aren't arm-related injuries, but still, those are considerations that a lot of these individual players will be having here. And the thing about Rodriguez is that you know, he was supposed to be the anchor for this Boston staff with Chris Sale having Tommy John surgery. Now he's not that guy at the outset of the season. And this Red Sox rotation looks putrid. I mean, it looks terrible. So without Rodriguez, and if this lingers as a guy that, you know, has had injuries in the past, that really hurts Boston's ceiling. I don't know if it necessarily impacts the floor because their offense is so good, but it does hurt their ceiling. And these are considerations that you're going to have over the next few days as we get ready for the season to start. You know, we're seeing flexor strains. We're seeing obliques, soft tissue stuff. This is not a surprise ramping back up to the season. And again, a lot of these guys probably feel ill-prepared for the start of the year because, you know, yeah, they were working out and throwing on their own and stuff like that. But, you know, facing live hitting, starting to throw at max effort, stuff like that, it's not a big surprise to see these soft tissue issues popping up. And keep in mind, too, that maybe you don't want to overreact to every soft tissue thing that you hear about. Guys play through a lot of things over the course of the season. That's just kind of a given. When you're a professional athlete, you're usually not going to feel 100% just because of the wear and tear on your body, but you're going to go out there and play through it anyway. And if you get a day where a guy's not out there, 
the COVID speculation begins. The questions start to rise of, is it some sort of injury or is it, you know, this highly contagious virus that we're all dealing with? So maybe teams have been a little bit more forthcoming about why guys are sitting out. Because if you don't tell the media why, they immediately go to COVID. And if it's COVID, that's a much bigger deal. And that's why we've also seen, too, that, you know, we've seen players come out and say, look, you know, I didn't get my test results back. Or we've seen teams just outright cancel workouts because they don't want that speculation to run rampant. This is already a very delicate balance that all these teams are trying to achieve here. So that's why injuries, specifically the muscle-related ones, are going to come out and be reported probably more frequently than they usually would because you want to shy away from that COVID speculation. You want to try and keep everything going on the path that it's going to July 23rd here. And again, obviously the teams would report these things to the league office, but you know the media is going to run rampant with speculation. And obviously a lot of people have a lot of different takes about this virus, the returns to play, all those kinds of things. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of paper moves here. A lot of paper transactions, IL stints, things to kind of move guys in and out, stuff like that. You do, of course, still have the COVID concerns. I wouldn't worry so much about a lot of it right now unless you run into a scenario where a starting pitcher gets it. And then at this point in time, you know, we're talking two negative tests. It's probably 10 to 14 days. At that point, you know, these guys are probably missing two to four starts. Relievers, hitters, they should be fine. It doesn't really take them a lot of time to ramp up for the season. And again, keep in mind, too, that, you know, even with a traditional spring training, hitters might get 40 or 50 or maybe 60 at the absolute highest plate appearances over the course of the spring training games. So they're usually ready pretty quickly. Same thing with relievers. So starting pitchers are the concern right now. Other than that, I think a lot of guys should be fine here uh, as we head on into the season. So don't overreact to what you're getting out there in the news. Again, a lot of people trying to be first to market with all the news, maybe not checking their sources thoroughly enough, stuff like that. We're seeing false positive tests. We're seeing false negative tests. Uh, it's kind of been all over the place. So, you know, don't overreact too much to what you're reading uh, as people are trying to race to break news here in the lead up to this 2020 season. All right, so here we go with the five and fly for the NL Central. You're going to notice something about the National League Central here as I go through these teams. Chicago Cubs season win total 31 and a half, 25 to 1 for the World Series, 14 to 1 for the pennant. All of those coming from Bet Online, plus 280 over at five dimes to win the NL Central. The thing we don't have to worry about really with the Cubs is the offense. They're going to hit. The talent level on that team is very high. A lot of hard contact. Remember, I talked about that last week. Teams that make a lot of hard contact, that tends to stabilize very quickly. So if you make hard contact, you've got good barrel rates. In theory, your offense should be set up pretty well here for 60 games, 162 games. It doesn't really matter. The more hard contact you make, the more opportunity you have for positive outcomes. The Cubs make a lot of hard contact as a team. That will not change here for this season. So with that in mind, the Cubs do have a pretty high floor. Now we'll see what happens with a guy like Jason Kipnis at second base. I mentioned Quintana with the nagging injury with the thumb stitches. Well, now Anthony Rizzo 
with a soft tissue injury. They're calling it rib head inflammation. So it's in that intercostal, that oblique range. Again, obliques are going to be a, a very serious business here this season, taking away four to six weeks for a lot of these guys. Rizzo probably going to be shut down for a few days. The Cubs won't you know, put him at too much risk. But, you know, this is a team that's got enough depth. Nico Horner's pretty much ready to go. He's one of their top prospects. Uh, he can play pretty much anywhere around the infield if they try to put him there. You know, guy that could probably play corner outfield too if you really were in a pinch. So Nico Horner's probably going to play a fair amount here for the Cubs, I would think, this season. Because, again, they're a team that if they truly have these financial concerns, and keep in mind, too, what happens with these teams, like the Cubs, like the Astros, uh, we kind of saw this on a lesser level with the Kansas City Royals, these teams where everybody comes up all at once, those are teams that wind up with some pretty serious payroll issues. And the Cubs spent most of their offseason whining and bitching and moaning about not having any money. Well, they've got a lot of guys now that are approaching contracts, guys that are running out of arbitration eligibility, like a Chris Bryant, stuff like that. So this is a team that they're kind of almost in between a little bit in the sense that, yes, they've got the core group there to go out there and win a lot of games, but also taking a look at some of their prospects like Horner, like we've seen them do with Ian Happ. Those are things that maybe they want to look to do here. So the Cubs are sort of in an in-between phase a little bit right now because they're probably going to lose some guys to free agency. And maybe right now, not a bad time to take a look at a guy like Horner or you know some of those other guys that they have in the system. Now, I, like I said, I think the offense will hit. I, I don't see the offense being a primary concern for the Cubs. What is a primary concern is the pitching staff. You look at you, Darvish, from last year. In his first 61 innings across March, April, and May, a 502 ERA, a 538 FIP, a 447 XFIP, he walked 41 batters in his first 61 innings, gave up a whole mess, gave up 11 home runs in his first 61 innings. Something changed, though. Something happened for you, Darvish, and I don't know what it was, but from the start of June through the end of the regular season, 344 ERA, 355 FIP, 283 XFIP. He struck out 156 batters and walked 15. Now, he still had the homer issue. gave up 21 in his last 117 and two-thirds, but a lot more solo home runs in that span. The big strikeout-to-walk ratio. And this is the question here for a lot of these teams and a lot of these individual pitchers. What do we get? Of those 60 games, what do we get of those 12 starts? Because the first 60 innings for Darvish last year, which would be about his expected 2020 workload, ERA over five, a FIP of 538. That's not going to get it done. But over his last 117 innings, the 344 ERA, 355 FIP, that's excellent. So what do we get? From you, Darvish. Which you, Darvish, shows up here for this 60-game sprint? Jose Quintana, 380 whip last year, had a high ERA, but a 65.9% left on base percentage, far and away the lowest of his career. So a positive regression candidate, but now limited with this thumb injury, only going to make probably 9 or 10 starts. What do those 9 or 10 starts look like? We don't know. Kyle Hendricks is solid. 
that's something you can usually bank as a guy that's very, very reliable. Not a lot of variance in his performance level. But what do we get from Tyler Chatwood or Alec Mills? What do we get from the back end of this Cubs rotation? What do we get from the bullpen? You know, they've got Craig Kimbrell. He's a question mark coming back. You got Roman Wick, you know, or Rowan Wick. What does he look like? You've got Ryan and Jeffress back there. You've got Dan Winkler, Ryan Tapera, Matt McGill. What do those guys look like? You know, new guys that they brought in, kind of bargain bin free agents, MILB deal type guys. Will they use, you know, Adbert Alzale or Jarrell Cotton in relief? The Cubs have a lot of questions with depth, both at the back of the rotation and with the bullpen. So their offense will hit, but what is the ceiling for this team? I don't think it's particularly high because of all the pitching concerns that they have. A team that doesn't have pitching concerns is the Cincinnati Reds. Their season win total also 31 and a half, 20 to one for the World Series, 11 to one for the pennant, plus 243 over at five dimes for the division. The Reds are the opposite of the Cubs here in that their question mark is the offense. They need this lineup to take a big step forward. Now, getting an extra hitter with the DH will help because this is a team that you kind of wondered about them defensively a little bit, where they were going to slot all of these guys in, all that kind of thing. Nick Castellanos is a bad fielder. Maybe he DHs. Maybe they kind of rotate some guys into that DH spot. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But... Who is Shogo Akiyama? Comes over from Japan. Will he hit the Reds? You know, will they put him at the top of the order, the bottom of the order? Does Joey Votto bounce back? Joey Votto last year, a 101 WRC plus. So he was 1% better than league average offensively. 1% for a guy like Joey Votto. His previous worst season, he was 24% above league average. It was his first full year in the major leagues. So do we get a bounce back from Joey Votto? What do we get from Nick Castellanos? You know, a guy who is a big bat in the middle of this order. The Reds are very excited about him, and they should be. He spent most of his career in Detroit, which is an awful hitter's park. Now he's in Cincinnati, a pretty good hitter's park. What do we get out of Castellanos here? What do we get from Mike Moustakis? What do we get from Akiyama, the three new guys in this lineup? You know, Eugenio Suarez coming off of major shoulder surgery. There were some questions about whether or not he'd be ready for the start of the season in April. Well, now he's got the extended recovery period. But still, we're talking about a major shoulder injury. Shoulder injuries for hitters do zap some of their power generally. Things like the hamate bone, things like the shoulder, the hamate bone in the hand, of course, But a lot of injuries to the upper body for hitters, the contact metrics don't really go away, but the power sometimes goes away. So what do we get from Suarez, a guy who's, you know, his chief tool is his power, makes a lot of hard contact, high barrel rate. What do we get from him? The Reds are set up well offensively from a skill set standpoint with a lot of versatility with a lot of platoon types of guys, switch hitters, stuff like that. You know, does Nick Senzel make the leap? Does Jesse Winker make the leap? You know, they've they've always had these guys, you know, that have always had great skill sets, good numbers in the minors. How do they translate to the big league level now? But I like a lot of what the Reds have to work with here. This is a lineup that was 25th 
in WRC Plus last year, I would expect a big leap out of them, and I would expect another leap out of this pitching staff. Now, again, in a 60-game sample size, it's hard to know exactly what to expect. Over 162, I expected this rotation to take a pretty sizable leap. But you've got Sonny Gray off of one of the best seasons of his career, highest strikeout percentage of his career. Luis Castillo cut his walk rate down considerably in the second half. Trevor Bauer, obviously one of the smartest guys in baseball. He helped out a lot of Indians pitchers. He'll continue to help out a lot of the Reds pitchers here. And his stuff, you know, his season should be a lot better. Had run into some BABIP issues last year, some walk issues. Pitched through a lot of different ailments and injuries. He should be healthy coming into the year. Love Wade Miley in that park as an extreme ground ball guy. Anthony DiSclefani, 264 Woba against. Weighted on base average against in the second half, so he got a lot better. This is an excellent one through five rotation. Depth is a worry if any of these guys get hurt. But the Reds are all in with analytics. So if one of their guys gets hurt in that starting five, you may see a four-man rotation. You may see a piggyback or something like that. They're one of the teams that could get very creative. And I like this Reds bullpen as well. Rysel Iglesias, Michael Lorenzen, Amir Garrett at the back end, all hard throwers. Pedro Strope, he's in a bounce-back spot. He's 35 years old, but instead of having to go 60 or 70 innings, he's only got to go 20 or 25 or 30 now. So I think that's a benefit for him. He's coming off of a rare bad season last year. Good depth, good organizational depth. The buy-in with analytics, Derek Johnson is maybe the best pitching coach in all of baseball. The Reds have the highest ceiling of the four contenders here in the NL Central. 31 and a half may be a little bit low for them. Uh, as far as World Series and pennant futures go, I'm not entirely sure about that. But 31 and a half could be a little bit low for them from a season win total standpoint. The Milwaukee Brewers also 31 and a half on the win total. 30 to 1 for the World Series, though, 14 to 1 for the pennant, plus 375 for the NL Central. So that's very interesting to me. The Reds plus 243, the Cubs plus 280, Brewers plus 375, but all three teams have the same win total number. So something doesn't really line up there, in my estimation. But for the Brewers here, you know, it's the same core of the lineup with Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, Lorenzo Kane. Keston Hira, but they add Justin Smoke, Eric Sogard, Avasail Garcia, Omar Narvaez. Now, Narvaez has some big shoes to fill with Yasmani Grandal leaving. Narvaez is a decent offensive piece, but not a very good defensive catcher. So we'll see how that impacts the Brewers here. He's in a platoon with Manny Pena, but Narvaez is on the thick side of the platoon because he bats left-handed. So, That could hurt Milwaukee defensively, but this is a team that will run out quite a few platoons. They've got Jed Jerko. They've got Brock Holt, a very versatile player. They're going to run out a lot of platoons outside of Yelich, Kane, Hira, Braun, guys like that. So this lineup will look different day in and day out. They'll try to cater it and tailor it to the opposite pitcher that they're facing. And of course, too, you know, with the three batter rule and stuff like that, probably trying to load up a little bit on some matchup guys here for the late innings. You know, for Christian Yelich, I mean, look, the last two seasons have been epic. I mean, he's been one of the best offensive performers in all of baseball, and he's had some really huge sample sizes, too. Last year in his first 29 games, for example, 
he hit 14 home runs. So this is a guy that's been consistently good, but in streaks, he's been almost impossible to get out. So Yelich is obviously the main key to this Brewers team, to their ceiling, to what their hopes are for this year. He'll hit over a large sample size. I, I think that's a very safe uh, you know, thing to say here. But in smaller sample sizes, he could absolutely carry this team for a short period of time. And that is what makes the Brewers pretty dangerous, I think, in the sense that you know, if Yelich is just out there setting the world on fire, he'll carry them. And they like to win low-scoring games. They have the opportunity to do that with some of the arms that they have. I think overall, though, even with some of the massive numbers we may see from Yelich, this is probably a league average offense. You know, Keston here, a big contact quality. He's just, he's a guy that'll stick around for a long time in the major leagues. He's a very good hitter. But still, even with the big Yelich numbers, they were a league average offense or so last year. So that's something you want to factor in the equation here that if Yelich doesn't carry them, this is a below average offense. So that's something that could lower the ceiling a little bit for the Brewers here in this sprint format. As you look at their rotation, Brandon Woodruff at the top, he's a safe bet. Adrian Hauser, Brett Anderson, who's already dealing with a blister, Josh Lindblom, who comes back over from the KBO, and Corbin Burns. There are a lot of questions here. This is a very high variance rotation. I think Woodruff will be fine. The other four guys, there's a lot of stuff here. There's a lot of interesting profiles, but there could also be some low floors. You get Adrian Hauser, he pitched 80 and two-thirds as a starter last year, 264 average against, 330 on base, 439 slugging, 327 Woba. As a reliever, though, absolutely dominant in 30 and two-thirds, 180 average against, 254 on base against, 227 Woba against. So Hauser was dominant as a reliever. As a starter, he had some issues. And you look at his lefty and righty splits, He was pummeled by left-handed batters. So you wonder about him as a starter. You wonder about Lindblom coming back from the KBO where the level of offense is much, much lower than it is in Major League Baseball. Brett Anderson, always an injury of some sort for that guy. Extreme ground ball guy, can survive and thrive if the ball is rejuiced or something like that. But he's always hurt. Corbin Burns, explosive stuff. The raw, pure stuff grades really well with the stat cast metrics and all of that. But command is an issue. Control can be an issue. He's a developing pitcher. And those are guys that, you know, in this format, it's a little bit scary to rely on. And when you look at this bullpen here, yeah, Josh Hader is elite, and we all know that. Corey Knebel, been injured. David Phelps, off Tommy John. Brent Suter off Tommy John. The Milwaukee pitching staff concerns me a lot. It has a lot of upside. It has a high ceiling. It also has what I believe to be a pretty low floor just because, you know, we don't know what we're going to get from some of these developing guys or these guys coming back off of injury. So the Brewers are a concern to me, and I think it's accurate that their futures odds are higher than the other contenders here in this division. But again, their win total is lined right there at the same number. The Brewers do worry me here a little bit.
But again, because of the variance level with their pitching staff, I don't know if I would invest in a win total because it wouldn't shock me if for 60 games they wind up being really good or if for 60 games they wind up really struggling. The Pittsburgh Pirates, their season win total here, 25 and a half, 300 to one for the World Series, 125 to one for the pennant, 40 to one for the Central is not high enough. This looked like a dumpster fire coming into the full season. It looked like they were actually going to seriously run a $50 million opening day payroll out there. And when you look at this team, it's tough to figure out what the direction is right now. They don't have a great minor league system. Cabrian Hayes, their top prospect, posted a 92 WRC plus in 480 plate appearances in AAA last season. So it was not a good offensive year for him. He also hasn't reported to camp yet. So we'll see what happens with that situation. O'Neal Cruz, their second best prospect, he was only in AAA for a short period of time last year. Most of the rest of their position player guys are high A or double A with limited projections, stuff like that. So this is not a high-profile team full of prospects. Something that is a little bit different here this year for Pitts, actually a lot different for Pittsburgh here this year. Last year, it was a very toxic environment. You had Felipe Vasquez, who's now in prison for being a piece of shit. You had Clint Hurdle, who knew he was a dead man walking. You had Neil Huntington, who tried a lot of things early in his tenure for the Pirates. They, they worked out. Then as he tried to adapt, they didn't work out. So he was a dead man walking, too. There's been a lot of turnover here. Clint Hurdle's been replaced with Derek Shelton, who was the Indians hitting coach when Kevin Cash was the bullpen coach. Then he was the Rays bench coach when Kevin Cash was the Rays manager. Neil Huntington has been replaced by Ben Charrington. Frank Coonley is gone now as well. So a lot of change at the top here for the Pirates, and that's a good thing. But also ownership being very cheap, the limited opening day payroll. This was not a team expected to do a whole lot for the full season. And with that 25.5 win total, obviously not expected to do a whole lot here either. But this will be a better overall environment than what it was last year. You know, when guys are going on the DL for punching teammates and, you know, everything. It was just a very toxic environment for the Pirates. That is no longer the case. However, it's a pretty toxic environment nationwide right now uh, with COVID and all the social issues that everybody has an opinion about and stuff like that. So maybe this isn't the year that we see everything run a little bit smoother for Pittsburgh just because nothing is going to run smoothly here for this Major League Baseball season. So again, things should improve. Morale should improve. But how much that matters here with this unique environment, I'm not entirely sure. Now, as far as the personnel goes, look, this is a poor lineup. There's just not a lot of contact quality here outside of Josh Bell and Brian Reynolds. And Brian Reynolds last year ran a 387 batting average on balls in play. I doubt that happens again this year, even though he's got some pretty decent contact metrics. But this is a very weak lineup. And unlike some of the bad teams that may be able to experience with pro- or experiment with prospects and stuff like that, the Pirates don't really have that luxury outside of Kibrian Hayes if he shows up at camp and a guy like Cole Tucker. So they don't have a whole lot to get excited about with their prospect pool for right now. And on the pitching side, Jamison Tyon is out, Tommy John. Chris Archer is out, thoracic outlet surgery. 
And then you've got Joe Musgrove. You've got Trevor Williams. Stephen Brault, who's expected to be in a piggyback, probably with Chad Cool, Mitch Keller, one of their top prospects. And then Derek Holland, who they just kind of signed as, you know, rotation depth, maybe bullpen fodder. Now all of a sudden, he's probably slotted into that fifth spot. And Holland actually could do okay at PNC Park. I don't think he's a guy that you want to fully write off if you're in an NL only or something like that. But this rotation, again, a low ceiling rotation. Keller could be good. Musgrove could be good. Other than that, a lot of questions about the other guys. The bullpen's got some guys with some good raw stuff. Kyle Crick, Chris Stratton, they've got some great spin rate data. But otherwise, you know, this is just a very low ceiling team. There's not a whole lot to like about the Pirates. And if these four teams are going to jockey for position all year long, the Pirates play 40 games against those four teams. So this is one of the rare instances with a very low season win total that I would consider going under the total just because the Pirates are so far behind the other four teams here in this division, even in this 60-game sprint. Lastly here, we look at the St. Louis Cardinals. Their season win total, you guessed it, 31 and a half. So four of the five teams in this division have win totals of 31 and a half over at Bet Online. I don't think they're as interchangeable as the win totals would suggest, and they certainly weren't in my mind for the full season where I did have a piece of the Cardinals under, I uh, did have a piece of some Reds futures, did consider you know maybe a Brewers under, something like that. So you know in this 60-game format where there's going to be less separation between the teams, I still think there are some degrees of separation, even though these win totals are all lined at 31 and a half. And keep in mind, Picota projected a massive drop for the St. Louis Cardinals coming into the season. They were profiling the Cardinals as a team that might even struggle to go 500 for the full season. Now, I think in the 60-game sprint, there may be fewer worries about this older lineup because this is an older lineup with Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt and Yadier Molina. This is an older lineup. They've kind of plugged and played some younger guys like a Tommy Edmond, like a platoon guy in Harrison Bader. But this is still an older lineup. And I had worries about that for the course of the full season, maybe a little bit less so here with this 60-game sprint. But depth is still a huge question for this team. And usually the cardinal way is to be very organizationally stout, have a lot of options. They've got some options, but not as many as they've maybe had in past years here, the biggest question for the Cardinals offense is whether or not Paul Goldschmidt returns to form. Last year, the lowest exit velocity in the StatCast era for Goldschmidt, lowest barrel rate, still in the 70th percentile, so still well above average, but they need Goldschmidt to be better. They need Carpenter to be better. They need to find out if Tommy Edmond was for real last year. This Cardinals offense concerns me quite a bit. I think this could be a below average group, and we don't normally see that from the Cardinals. Now, on the pitching side, you know, again, we talk about the variance of what happens over you know 10 or 12 starts for these pitchers. And you look at Jack Flaherty last year, he had a 464 ERA, and I believe like a 445th in the first half of the year. In the second half, though, Flaherty had an ERA under one. He had a .91 ERA in the second half, 34% K percentage. Which Jack Flaherty do we get? 
We, we don't know. What do we get from Miles Mikolas and Adam Wainwright, who had some mild second-half improvements? But if you look kind of anecdotally at what's happening here with some of the summer camp intra-squad games and stuff like that, it looks like the ball might be juiced a little bit. You look at that big catch in Detroit where the guy scaled the wall and kind of pulled it back in, that ball had no business going out. So now we've kind of got some whispers here about how the baseball might play. And if it plays poorly, the Cardinals are a team hurt by that. With guys like Nicholas, with guys like Wainwright, we don't know what Kwang Hyun Kim is going to bring coming over from the KBO. Dakota Hudson kind of is what he is, low strikeout, high walk, high ground ball guy. What happens in a very in a smaller sample size of variance with him? You know, what if he runs a 360 BABIP or something like that with the high walk rate and the low strikeout rate? What happens with him? I think this is a very low ceiling rotation behind Jack Flaherty. And this Cardinals bullpen has already been ravaged in the lead up to this season. Jordan Hicks has opted out coming back from Tommy John, also type 1 diabetic. So he's a guy that opted out of this little return to play. Giovanni Gallegos, he's not in camp yet. John Brebbia had Tommy John surgery. You know, what is Andrew Miller at this point in his career? Can we rely on Carlos Martinez, who's had a variety of different injuries? He's got reliability concerns. Do they take some of their starting pitching depth, like an Alex Reyes or an Austin Gomber or a Daniel Ponce de Leon? Do they move them into relief roles? Because John Gant only pitched 21 and two-thirds after the break last year, and he was awful. And you're missing Hicks. And you're missing Brebbia. And maybe you're missing Gallegos, too. So the Cardinals' bullpen, massive, massive concerns there. Big concerns with the rotation. Big concerns with the lineup. The Cardinals, as as I look at them here, and, and they always find a way. You know, they always find a way to be competitive and compete and make the playoffs, or at least be a playoff threat. What does this look like for them? And I think of the teams lined at 31 and a half wins here, I think it's the Cubs, and I think it's the Reds that you kind of want to key in on a little bit. I think the Cardinals and the Brewers could be a couple of teams that struggle here, and certainly I think the Pirates, if this is as competitive as the futures numbers and the win totals would suggest, that certainly hurts a team like the Pirates. So I feel like maybe I've had some stronger opinions here for this 60-game sprint on the NL Central. We've got one more division left to go on Monday. That is the National League West, which will also be one that you definitely want to tune in for because I'll have a lot of pretty strong opinions about that division as well. All right, real quickly here, KBO for the weekend. Hanwa and LG, KT and NC, Lata and Samsung, Doosan and Kia, Kiwoom and SK. Admittedly, I haven't been following the KBO quite as closely here. So these are just some very quick bullet point types of thoughts for these upcoming series. For Hanwa and LG, you know, the LG offense has been kind of feast or famine. And the thing of it is, they've feasted against non-elite pitching. When they've faced really good pitching lately, that's when they've struggled. They scored 10 runs in the series finale against Lata here on Thursday. Hanwa has a lot of non-elite pitching. LG will face a lot of big lines here in this series, as is always the case when you go up against Hanwa. 
But, you know, for LG here, I think offensively they could be in decent shape because they're not going to face elite pitching by KBO standards here. I believe they'll get Warwick Stoppold in this series. So there is that. Maybe that's the game where they struggle. But LG has hit bad pitching. So that is an angle that you want to look at for them, not just this weekend, but as we go forward as well. KT and NC. NC will likely avoid. Actually, I think NC may run into a Drissomer Despagne on Sunday. They will avoid William Cuevas, though. They'll get So Hyung Jun. He's got one of the lowest left on base percentages in the KBO. I think they'll get Bay J. Seong as well when he gets added back to the roster. NC will send out Mike Wright and Ku Chang Mo. Now, the one thing I will say here is that KT has been the only team to hit Ku Chang Mo thus far. And they are one of the best teams in the KBO against left-handed pitchers. So we're going to get a low total and a high number on NC here for Ku Chang Mo's start. But there's a chance that KT actually matches up okay with him. So maybe that's a spot you look to bet the KT team total over, something like that, because they've hit lefties very, very well this season, and they've been the only team to really have any measure of success against Ku Chang Mo. Lotta and Samsung here. I believe Dan Straley might go on Sunday for Lotta as they start out this nine-game road trip. Samsung with the starting pitcher advantage, with better depth to the rotation. These are two pretty good bullpens, two hit-or-miss offenses. We know Daegu is a very good hitting environment at Lions Park. So there is that. But, you know, for Samsung here, they're playing a lot of low-scoring games. The bullpen has run into some issues here of late, though. That is something you want to keep an eye on. They've been playing a lot of close games recently. Their primary relievers have had to work a lot. That may hold them back a little bit in this series and in upcoming series. So that's something you may want to factor into the equation. Uh, But Samsung's offense is a lot more potent at home. So we'll see what these totals look like for this series. Again, two good bullpens, two decent defensive teams. Samsung's one of the better defensive teams in the league. Uh, Lata's pretty good in that department as well. So maybe lower scoring, maybe higher scoring. I think it's a high-variance series there at Samsung. I'm not sure if there will be a lot of variance in this series here between Doosan and Kia. We're going to see some very big totals. Kia's scored over six runs per game at home. Doosan, like seven and a half runs per game on the road. We'll probably see some 12 and a halfs, maybe a stray 13 here in this series. Aaron Brooks will get the start in game one for Kia on Friday, I believe. Uh, Raul Alcantara will miss this series, which is lucky for him because this is the kind of environment where he would probably get knocked around. But Yu Hui Kwan will pitch for Doosan in this series. That is a Kia team total over spot. That's a full game over spot. That's probably betting on Kia in that spot. Yuhui Kwan is going to a hellacious environment for him. As a regression candidate, I would expect him to get rocked here in this series against Kia. Finally, Kiwoom and SK. SK will throw their two best starters in this series. Park Jong-hoon and Moon Sung-wan against Kiwoom. SK will also avoid Eric Jokic. I believe here in this series. Not sure it matters with them with their offensive issues. I would look for some low-scoring games here in this series, though, between Kiwoom and SK. This is a bad hitting environment for Kiwoom. They're facing SK's two best pitchers. The totals will probably reflect that, but I would expect a lower-scoring series there in Incheon. So, like I said, on Monday we'll do the five and fly for the AL or for the NL West. I've had a couple of questions for the Monday Mailbag already, 
at skating tripods on Twitter, skating tripods at gmail.com to send questions for the Monday mailbag. So don't hesitate to reach out with that. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.